Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson, I'll be your host and I'm joined by two gentlemen that I literally saw about 12 hours ago. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing this evening? We came, we saw and I think we conquered. What a weekend it was, probably the perfect weekend to, to have this first trip over in, uh, in Belgium. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, so we have finally been to Belgium, we finally met each other in person. I actually didn't recognise Scott when I first saw him because he didn't have a beard. I was like, he looks like Scott, but I'm not sure it is Scott. But <laughs> we also ended up getting on the wrong train together and going the complete opposite direction to where we should have been. But hey, it's all part of the adventure. Um, slightly different kind of format, I guess, this week to how we usually do it, just because purely we were at games rather than being able to watch everything. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the ones we did see and some of the stuff we did while we were out there. We'll obviously talk about the fallout from some of the other games, but um, let me quickly go through the results. So Friday night, the game we were at, we saw Circle of Rouge against Charleroi. That one finished 4-1 to the home side. Courtelike lost 2-0 at home to Vestalo. St. Truden and Leuven played out a 0-0 draw. Mechelen got a 2-1 win over Erpen, which saw the end of Bern Stork's time in East Belgium. Union and Club Bruges played out an absolute classic. That one finished 2-0 and we were at that one. Antwerp lost a big game to Genk 3-1. Joris was there trying to keep himself very relaxed and calm. Uh, Ghent beat Serang two goals to one. Standard beat Anderlecht technically 3-1, but the game was suspended due to fan issues that also saw the end of Felice Mazu. Oostend rounded off the weekend with a big, big 2-1 win over Zolta Varagem. Let's start then with the game we were at on Friday night, which was Circle of Bruges against Charleroi. Really, really kind of Circle to invite us in to see everything that was kind of going on in the club there. Big thanks to Carlos Avina for her, having us. Really nice. We got to kind of, we went to went to the Ambride a little bit earlier during the day. He showed us around the training facilities. We also got to meet uh, the manager, Mion Muzlic. We'll have to say, if you ever do get a chance to meet him, he will shake your hand off. The man's got an absolute iron grip. Um, <laughs> very, very strong hand. I think my hand's still recovering from that handshake. But yeah, really interesting time we spent there. Uh, Carlos spoke to us kind of about players adapting, kind of what they look at in terms of data and all that sort of stuff. A um, couple of interesting things, I guess everyone gets the same car. Uh, everyone's been getting the same SEAT, so there's no kind of differences there. So that was really nice. They gave us um, some tickets to the game. We then went, obviously, in the evening to the game, soaking up the atmosphere, I guess you could say, at the end, Bridal, kind of a party atmosphere beforehand with a little DJ set going on. And then, yeah, got into the game. Quite an even game, Really, despite the 4-1 scoreline, I think it kind of, it went how we were talking before the game about how we thought it was going to go, which was that one side could score and the other side just couldn't score. Quite interesting, before the game, we also saw uh, Ed Still, who eventually lost his job after this one, actually involved in the warm-ups, which none of us can really remember seeing many managers do. Um, so kind of a sign of the pressure, I guess. Uh, Charlotte did take the lead, however it was offside. Uh, ben Boali. Uh, with a nice finish, actually, but that was given offside. Then a couple of minutes later, Circular did take the lead through IAC Ueda. Um, Carlos has said, kind of gave us a little bit of insight into Ueda about how he's adapting to the game more. He's getting his recovery better. It's just like loads of different things that they didn't really understand were going on with him. He's taken a long time to recover, but now he's finally getting the food he needs and getting the recovery he needs. Um, he looked really, really sharp in this one. 
And it was a Jean Marcelin kind of header back across the goal. Great control from Wade, and then he absolutely smashed it past um, Pierre Patron in the Charleroi goal. And that's how it stayed at halftime. Uh, it was 1-0. That was also thanks to Radoslav Majewski with a penalty save. Adam Zorgan took the penalty and it was pretty, pretty terrible, to be honest. Quite a comfortable save for Majewski. But it was also one of those ones that if the goalkeeper dives the other way, you're like, oh yeah, he showed him, sent him the wrong way. But that definitely didn't happen. Uweda got the second goal in the 57th minute. Kind of typical circle of Bruges goal, in my opinion, where they just kind of, they love to throw it into kind of Denki right on the bar, on the um on the line basically on the edge of the pitch. Great strength from him. He plays it back. Hotic could have got there, but Oweda got there first. And we had a perfect angle for this one. You could just see it curling in. Knew it was a goal when it happened. Charlotte did get another penalty. No one understands what really happened. I've seen the replay and I think it was a, a handball on Marcelin, but at the time no one knew what was going on. It was absolute chaos. And Dan Heyman's took this one instead of Adams or Gann and he made it two one. Uh, however, that was kind of it for Charleroi. They just could not get the goals they needed. Yang Boho came on. He scored a lovely goal in the 73rd minute. And then Jackson Chatura gave Emilio Kera his goal. Uh, just basically passed it straight back to him when he was trying to pass it back to Platon. Kera was literally right there, so I have no idea what happened. It was the point where it was one of those goals where I was looking down the other end because I presumed they were going to play it up. And next thing I see, the ball's in the back of the net. Um, so it finished 4-1 to Circular Bruges. Ed Steele literally went straight down the tunnel after the game. And yeah, we kind of knew the writing was on the wall then. Great win for Circular, though. They are in really, really good form. It was great to see them live. I've spoken enough. Scott and yours, what were your impressions of Circular, the Jan Bridal, Ed Steele, Charlois, the whole game? Well, I think, we, I think we, we had a great day, I think, didn't we? We had a great day in Bruges. Obviously, we were there all day and, and, and stayed over as well. Circle were absolutely wonderful hosts. Really, really enjoyed it. Lovely to meet Miron as well. Um, we were lucky in that when we arrived on the Friday, the, the, the team was just about to head off to the, the hotel before the match as well, um, which they tend to do on, on match days. So we were lucky enough to kind of bump into to Miron and, and, and say hello and, and grab him for for five minutes, which was just kind of wonderful. It's interesting, Ben, talking about the game panning out um, the way that, that we expected. Yeah, I think that's the kind of perfect description of this game. You know, Circle's form in recent weeks has, has, has seen a big upturn. Um, they're doing a lot of the, the the basics so much better, I think. And I think Charlois's problem fundamentally is it's the same problem that they've been having for quite a long time, and that is not not having enough up top. You know, they're pretty blunt up top. You know, they're able to work the ball well. Um, they're able to create opportunities, but they're just not able to finish them because they're, they're, they're lacking some firepower um, pretty much anywhere at the moment. Really interesting, as Ben was saying, to see Will still out there during the warm-up pre-match as well. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that from a coach before. And he did look like a man uh, deep in thought. That was for sure. Really interesting that obviously he, he was dispatched, if you like, um, quite so quickly after this defeat. And there was one particularly telling moment as well. I, I don't know if it was Ken and Cuba guys, but somebody missed an absolute sitter um, about three yards out from Charleroi. And Ed Stiller's response was to, to clap that very loudly. But he also smiled as well as if this was a man who knew that, you know, not only was the luck going against them, but, you know, he was maybe hoping that the, the ground was going to open up and swallow him up, which pretty much it did a few hours afterwards. A fantastic day. I must mention the restaurant as well when we were when we visited Circle, um, Carlos recommended some some restaurants to us uh, to eat in, and 
we, we, we had a lovely meal and drink in there in the afternoon before coming back down to the game. And I had this amazing boar stew, which is fantastic, uh, which Yoris also kind of recommended to me. He said, that kind of sounds quite nice. So I, I went for that, and I know the guys enjoyed their food as well. Ben had Ben had a whole chicken, and I mean a whole chicken. I'm not joking. Beautiful meal. Great day, great times, and um, looking forward to, to kind of getting back to the unbridled. Yeah, that's that's clapping from it still. <laughs> I think I still hear it in my nightmares. <laughs> that man uh, talking about that hands can can clap clap a bit, and yeah, and I I do think I only have one hand left, or the one other one is still numb at least from the handshake uh, with me and Muslich to go to the other manager as well again. But uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting experience. I think you guys touched on most of the of the things. Um, well, it wasn't Cuba with that miss uh, during the that phase where where it really was clapping loudly. Terrible miss, really, and kind of the game we expected um, with Charleroi. Actually, not being so bad, in even also maybe worth highlighting that despite their scoring issues, like the both the strikers, uh, well, at least Ben Boali and, and uh, Hossein Ade, uh, actually were playing quite well individually. But yeah, unfortunately, that they, they just lack something up top indeed still. There, there's something missing. And I do not know if they have anything like that in their squads at the moment. Uh, but yeah, we, we had a lovely day uh, out in uh, in Bruges. Thanks to Circle Bruges for, for hosting us uh, for, for that day. I understand it as well that um, Arben has come back with another shirt from his collection, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I only picked up one shirt this time. Though. I was It was very tempting to pick up more. But yeah, got myself a Circle Bruges shirt. Um, not the tight-fitting ones, though. Didn't really feel like I could fit into that and drink beer and eat. A lot, a lot of free. You had a lovely moment as well. We should tell everybody, shouldn't we, Ben? You had a lovely moment where after the game, we were on our way back into the, the centre of Bruges where we were, we were staying to our hotel and um, somebody, I thought they were accosting you, but they seemed very pleased with the fact that you had a circle top on, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to leave a circle shout. I was very concerned when he started approaching. I was like, oh, <laughs> he, he looks pretty pissed. Um, yeah, no, he said it quite, it's not like aggressively, but kind of like passive aggressively. Um, but yeah, no, that was quite a funny moment. I think my kind of overriding feeling following the game and then following obviously the news about Ed Stills, I just didn't really, I don't really understand what, what else he could have done, um, I think. Because, like, yeah, like Ifo said, I don't think they, they didn't play badly. It's just they can't score. And it's like, well, there's only so much he can do. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're creating chances, they just don't score. And he, yeah, I think there were lots of fans after the game. Obviously, there was a lot of frustration in the way end, but then there's a lot of frustration on social media with people above Ed still. And I think that's where people's kind of frustration still lies. I don't think them sacking Ed still is going to kind of distract from that this could be more pressure obviously all the chats kind of Felisa Mazu and him coming back and all that sort of stuff whether he wants to do that straight away remains to be seen it's looking like it's going to be a reasonably big job to just get them scoring again because if they can start scoring again they should be fine because they've got enough quality kind of everywhere else on the pitch but for Circle yeah very impressed with them I was impressed with Jesper Darland uh, Abby Francis as well in the midfield. He came in and he looked pretty decent. Mm. Um, so they're one of those sides. If you're in Bruges, I'd definitely recommend going and going and watching them play because they play some exciting attacking football. Good young players, like just well worth a watch. Enjoyed it thoroughly. I only have one more question now. Is Ed still there? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe he is still there. No one knows. <laughs> it's such an interesting one, that, isn't it, guys? Because like on, on the Ed Still issue, I think... Um, I, I was thinking about this kind of quite a lot and although I wasn't surprised that, you know, you know, he left the club after after that result, this is something that's been rumbling on for what well, feels like pretty much the start of the season really, and it's kind of been building to a head. And actually I think poor Ed's blameless in a lot of this, you know, mm-hmm. as, as Ben was getting at, his hands have been tied, everyone's known what the issue is and it just hasn't been addressed and it was always gonna catch up with them. And I think that they they've taken the decision to act at exactly the same point as fans have started to turn their attention towards the boardroom and the people upstairs and ask more serious questions around recruitment and that's led to even more pressure on Ed and of course to release the pressure inevitably they're going to they're going to change the manager rather than perhaps some of the people upstairs who who are responsible for some of the, the decision making so I actually feel quite sorry for Ed still because I think he's done a pretty good job there on the whole and yeah it's, it's like you know taking some of his tools away then 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 of course their form's gonna tank yeah i think i think he'll get another job if i'm honest like, i can't imagine people aren't looking at what he did last season with a striker and thinking this guy's a decent manager because i think he is um, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's an impressive young manager he's, he's got a lot to offer as as other clubs will know because there's there's no shortage of clubs looking for a new coach <laughs> at the moment not at least not since our trip anyway no yeah indeed indeed like, also already different topics still but to come back to the uh, to my man Sorgan. Also, very disappointing game. Outside of, what was it, one minute or so, I guess, we had two really nice uh, technical skills that kept them in possession. But, um, yeah, disappointing game from uh, Zorgan. First time I saw him, and, yeah, better luck next time. Yeah, I think a more confident side, and he looks a little bit better in there. But, yeah, they did definitely lack some confidence. Before we get to the second game we watched in Brussels, let's quickly touch on uh, the Mechelen Open game, which obviously saw the end of Bern Stork. Goals from Alessio de Cluz, uh, Julian and Goy. They had actually missed a penalty earlier as well, Mechelen. Uh, Conan G scored again, thank you very much. Um, but that wasn't enough for Bernd Stork. He's gone. We kind of, again, we've. it's funny because we're kind of rehashing conversations that we've been having all weekend after this news. But I just don't know what they were expecting, given their transfer business over basically the summer. Where did they think they would be? Um, it's kind of what I'm thinking because right around their point above the relegation zone, they were always going to be in a relegation fight. Like, what did they expect to be happening, and what did they what did they expect him to do, and who are they now going to go to that's kind of got what they need to stay up? Like, I just don't really understand. I understand getting that you kind of want to make do something, and you you're not happy with what's going on. But at the end of the day, I don't really. I don't know if you guys have a different opinion on this, but I I honestly don't understand what they were expecting him to do this season. That this it seems like they're doing what was expected of them. It was just hope that that would just about be enough to stay up. Yeah, I think there's a there's there's a degree of instability um uh, open at the moment, I think. Um which which is not really surprising when you see the number of players that had left during the summer and um the kind of meagre pickings that came in in a way. And I think from Bern Stork's point of view, you know, he he's working with a group of players who yeah, it's pretty slim pickings, I suppose, is the way I would describe it. He's not got a lot to work with there. Um, in many ways, when when he got that job, we were kind of like, all right, okay, that sort of makes sense in terms of a fit. I mean, this is a manager who has had a track record of getting getting sides out of trouble, big trouble, and I think this is a perhaps an example of somebody who 
under normal circumstances might have been exactly the right pick for this, but actually, um, I think the, the again a bit like Ed Still when you, when you look at what he was working with, it's it's very difficult to get any degree of consistency going. And I think the way their season's gone up till now is probably exactly the way a lot of us thought it was going to go. And I, I don't, as Ben was saying, I don't see how they could have expected anything different. What they're obviously hoping now in making the decision at this stage is that they have some kind of positive bounce that, that lasts for a reasonable length of time. Um, but that's entirely dependent on a very smart appointment and a very quick reaction to that because whoever's coming in is not going to be able to to change very much um, in the medium term at that club for, for lots of reasons. So I don't think it's a particularly attractive job for a, for a lot of coaches, which I think reduces the pool as well, which would be a, a big worry for me. Uh, Result-wise, I also don't really get it. So I can only presume that, that there might be some tension that, that, that the players did not want to work with him anymore or he kicked around a bit too much in the club as well. Could also be kicking somewhere else not the players but uh yeah the higher up i don't know because well yeah they are indeed more or less where we are expecting them and they're very much in it uh regardless of that loss uh against michelin difficult difficult season ahead for them of course and um, i i guess they're indeed hoping for for a new manager bounce and that this is uh yeah one of those uh one of the many that will uh will happen uh in that relegation battle, which is a bit crazier this year than uh, than it already usually is. Yeah, I yeah, I still just I just don't really get what's happening over over there in East Belgium. It's just all a bit bizarre, isn't it? And um, you just look at the defense that they've put together, and it's so young and inexperienced, and it's, it is like a really random mismatch of players that they've got there. There's some really talented players, but then there's also players that are just starting their careers. And stuff who are gonna struggle and they're gonna make mistakes. Yeah, we we spoke about this guys at, at length, didn't we? And it, it, it's absolutely fine, I think, for any club to to change their coach at a given point. But the bigger question really is, what, what's the plan? I mean, if if the plan is just sack the coach because the form is that poor, then you've got to really consider who you're bringing in next. I think obviously, and usually clubs do have some kind of idea, but I have a feeling this is just a reaction to a situation and that there is, there's, there is no plan, but that's how I've kind of felt about how Oipen have been behaving generally in terms of their recruitment as well for certainly for a while. So yeah, by all means, you know I mean? If you're a club, you know, get rid of your manager, but that, that in itself is not, not a means to an end. You know, what's, what's the longer term plan um, who's the right fit? And often when you're a club in a, a pretty precarious situation like Upinar, what you have to be very careful of is if you're going to make that change, it has to be with a plan in mind because change for change's sake usually doesn't work. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do and how the yeah how do how the squad reacts to this change as well. So we'll keep an eye on that one and. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a, a left field shout for whoever they bring in. So you're going to have a lot of work to do, Scott, on the deep dive for whoever they to eventually go for. <laughs> Let's go to the Saturday night game. Then we left Bruges after me and Scott tucked into some ridiculously large waffles. Yoris held himself back and just had a nice plain waffle. Yeah, Scott and I absolutely loaded ours up with fruit and chocolate and the like. Uh, made our way into Brussels, wandered around for quite a bit, made our way over to the Joseph Marion, walked around Park Duden, really, really nice area. Definitely, yeah, I mean, it's one of those places you just got to visit just for the, the sheer history and stuff. Finally, 
got, I have to say, to be fair to Union, I think out of most of the games we went to, it was the kind of the one that was building up the most at the beginning. Um, like when we arrived, there were people kind of milling around, getting ready, getting into the the clubhouse, which is great. That you can go in and see all the kind of the old stuff, like the old shirts, like squad photos from third, fourth division football, all that sort of stuff. Help yourself to to a beer as well and watch. Um, we were watching some pro league, but then some guys came in and said they wanted to watch AC Milan instead. Um, so that <laughs> that's a different yeah. podcast. That one. So it was all a bit like okay. <laughs> So I kind of I can understand because they probably didn't want to watch St. Sludan against Leuven and a nil-nil. But yeah, really nice. We met with um, Martin Lacombe's director at Union. He was super, super welcoming. Showed us around um, the old stand, basically, which has everything in it, like the changing rooms, uh, kind of all the old all the old stuff that's going on in there, press rooms and all that sort of stuff. Nice to look into the changing room. Also looked into the away changing room, which is definitely not as nice as the home changing room, but that's pretty par for the course these days. The Club Rouge officials didn't look too impressed with us poking our heads in, but we did it anyway uh, because we were there. Found our way into the, the press box as well, which was nice. Got our press passes. Bumped into an old friend or new friend, I guess you could say. Commentator Will Downing was there on his day off, which is absolutely lovely. It was great to see Will. Great to catch up with him and have a chat and just watch the game with him, actually, which is great. It was such a an interesting thing because usually every game, well, most of the games we watch in Belgian football, we've got Will commentating, but it was nice to actually just be sat next to him. I think kind of an overriding impression of the Jesuit Mariners is like when you see it on TV and you, you hear about how it's like, how historic it is and how like kind of amazing it is. It is, it is great to see and the atmosphere is amazing and stuff, but you can see why they're thinking about having to move on and build something new because the infrastructure is just not there. I think at halftime, Joris and I were looking for the toilets, um, went into the press area, no toilets. Uh, There's a massive queue for the toilets. So we actually ended up leaving the stadium and going to the little porter cabins just outside the ground, basically, to go to the loo, <laughs> which was just bizarre. I've never done that before in my life. But yeah, you can see why they need an upgrade and why UEFA have said they can't play there uh, for the, the European games. It just makes total sense. But beautiful pitch, beautiful evening, beautiful kind of stadium, great atmosphere for the Union Club Bruges game. We knew this was going to be a big one and it definitely didn't disappoint. First minute, Andreas Olsen opens the scoring. Really good finish from him. Not the best defending from Union. It gets even worse for him in the 14th minute when Buchanan breaks... A break, a, a club reach break is kind of on its way to Buchanan. He's then pulled back by Simon Adingra. Initially, I thought it looked really soft. Then saw a replay and the slow motion makes it look like he's grabbed him around the neck. But it's still not massive interaction and contact. But then having watched it again and again, I'm like, is it even in the box? All these things kind of running through. Didn't matter anyway. VAR intervened. Penalty was given. Adinga sent off. Hans van Aken scores the penalty and at that point club were in complete control of this game they started a lot better than union they kind of took control quite early and were looked really comfortable um but then Kyle Gert made a substitution that basically changed the game Ross Sykes unfortunately was sacrificed Loic Lapusan comes on they switched to a back four uh with basically Loic Lapusan playing left back and left wing very very kind of unique situation to be in when you have a player that can do both of those things and that completely changed the game uh, despite having 10 men union were able to get forward a little bit more they were able to put a little bit more pressure on uh, the club defense 
Uh, obviously, they were happy to let club have the ball and sit back and kind of soak it up. But Teddy Tuma and Lupusan were really, really key at getting them go forward. And they got back into the game thanks to a set piece. Corner comes in, Chris Burgess heads it home. It was actually, there were a load of um, Portsmouth boys there to watch Chris play, actually. So it was kind of quite nice that it was him that got on the score sheet. He then saluted the Club Bruges fans uh, after he scored, which I'm sure <laughs> made them really happy because after the Van Aken penalty, he blasted the ball at Van Aken as well. Um, so there was a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of tension in this one, which made it really spicy and good. So yeah, it was 2-1 to Club going into the second half. Uh, toilet breaks aside. We also went into the press box, uh, the press area to get some food. But unfortunately, whatever it was that they were serving was all gone by the time we got there, which is a, was a bit of a shame because it looked really tasty. Um, so yeah, if you ever are pressed at Union, make sure you get there quickly uh, if you want a bit of pie or pizza or whatever it was that they were serving. But yeah, second half club were really poor. Um, despite having more players, they, they were kind of quite placid, uh, not really pushing on much, not really looking to score that third goal, having enough about them to score the third goal. And they were punished. Uh, 80th minute, that man Lappy Sam with a cross to the back post. Bart Newcoop heads it home. Two all. Carl Hofkins reacts. He's sent on Noah Lang at this point, who we, we, we're we going to talk about Noah Lang, I think, a little bit in this one. Gulemchik <laughs> came on, was pretty innocuous as well. But basically, when Lang came on, you could see the plan instantly from Newcoop was like, just get him riled up, get him riled up. He was leaving things in, I guess you could say, with his first tackle, then dragged him back, knew he was going to get the yellow card, took the yellow card, but squared up to him straight away. Like There was a lot of that kind of passion and fight, I guess you could say. They knew exactly what they wanted to do to Noah Lang. Uh, finished 2 all at the end. Great result for Union. I think they definitely deserved the point. Lang was straight off down the dressing room, no clapping of the fans, picked on that up straight away. Just The body language was was weird, because I think when we're far away, we hear a lot about in the press, they've been coming out and saying, nah, he's a great kid. We love having him around and stuff like that. I did not get that impression whatsoever being at the game. I got the impression he was more of kind of like, he just wanted to do his own thing. Like even after the game, when they came out to do like a warm down, everyone had their tracksuit on. He still had his kit on. Just he was always being different. And it's a shame because he was a quality, quality player when he first came to Belgium. But it's just completely gone from him. Anyway, again, I've spoken too much about everything that happened. I'll hand over to you two guys to see what you think you thought of everything that went on at the Joseph Marion. Well, I think one of the biggest delights was certainly to 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 meet well properly and to as Ben was saying, to to spend the evening with him, which was a, a real delight for us. Very exciting. I think he was excited to meet us, just as excited as we were to meet him. So that that was a big thing for I think for all of us personally, and that was that was rather lovely. You know, Ben's talked a lot about the, the use of Marion, and I think, you know, we we've spoke a lot about Union on the pod um over the last kind of uh, couple of seasons. And it's so interesting to me because having experienced um, what they have to offer at the Marion now firsthand, what I would say about it is we know this is a club going in the right direction. It's on an upward trajectory. You know, the product on the pitch is really, really good. You know, you know, we talk about it every week. We, we don't need to go over that again this week. But I think, you know, from a business perspective um, and from the perspective of Alex Muzio, the club president and his team, you can absolutely understand what Ben's saying about the, the need to grow the club is is hampered by 
ironically what's there at the moment, although it's a unique product that they offer and um, a very good one. As Ben was saying, if you get the chance to go to a game there, you must absolutely do it, you know, while it's still still a possibility. But from a, from a business perspective, I think a lot of the answers to things that, that, that Union are searching for at the moment, they do need that new stadium and some of those experiences that come with 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 that in terms of hospitality and 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 this is linked mainly to to club revenue because of course this is a club that's having a fantastic season in Europe at the moment as well and it's returned to the European stage but yeah an absolutely brilliant night really really memorable big shout out on my part to the Union fans who who were incredible and I have to be honest they were even more incredible actually than I thought they were going to be there was a lovely moment um, where they broke into uh, Rocka's song and, and swinging their scarves around and where we were sat in the press box we were really close to one particular group um, in, in, in the main stand and we felt like we were sitting in right amongst it and it was just, just a brilliant experience and I think of all the games we were at um, over the weekend I think it was the one in terms of you know the quality of the game and the overall uh, atmosphere and, and experience for me it was it, it was the best one you know all round everything just kind of came together um, really really great evening um, the game the game was actually um, the one I enjoyed most of the weekend as well partly because of the spice proper proper entertaining game of football will actually turn to me uh, just on the final whistle and said what a brilliant game of football it was you know and he was on the edge of his seat for most of it you know such an early goal as well you know a goal after um i think just under 30 seconds i think it was quite quite incredible stuff and there's something about Union Sajawa that you know that it's just never short of drama and i, I mean that in a good way fantastic place to go and um i look forward i look forward to kind of going back to to many games there um before uh, before the new stadium um arrives which i'm sure it will because the team at union are working very hard on on trying to make that uh, a reality for for everybody but yeah what what a fantastic night saturday was and you know much like the Yam Bridal, which i enjoyed as well it's it's another ground and another club i'm looking forward to returning to very soon so many little battles on the field as well. Uh, yeah, like like um, Ben already mentioned, uh, Lange Nieuwkoop, but Nielsen and Terma was an interesting one as well. Never gonna let uh, Nielsen go. So you could see there was still a lot of writing uh, from the, from that side. Burgess also against everyone basically trying to rile up everyone <laughs> at Clubbrugge, which kind of works, I guess. All a bit on the edge. It's not personally my type of uh, of football, as you as you guys probably know, but still. Yeah, it was entertaining to see, and it obviously worked. Well, the cons missed uh, that that's brilliant change uh, with, with uh, uh, ten men when they were with ten uh, men uh, to, to to put Lapusai on and and move Tuma back to back to central midfield. That that really changed the course of the game. Before that, uh, it was Hawkeye and Union was sitting a bit too deep uh, to well to be able to to get anything up front, which they needed at that point already, of course. I was also talking to Ben during the game, and, and he's like, and he, uh, I think Ben was more was quite skeptical after it was 2-0 down, and, and uh, they, when they went 2-0 down and uh, with the with men down, I believe I said, like with any other team, I would probably say it's over, but with, with this Union side... Somehow they always fight back. They they find a way back into the game, and uh, well, I, I I can only admire that. And uh, I think I also mentioned at the end of the game, like, well, the only way to actually beat them is maybe just scoring as late as possible, so they don't have time to react. <laughs> and well, 
for this game at least it, it was the truth but they have shown this a lot uh, this season already the and and over the course of the past few seasons of course the, they they never give up uh, you you always will have to put up a lot of fights and Klubrige completely disappeared out of the game uh, yeah, Remchuk had a really terrible. Uh, well, together with like th- these changes, on the other hand, on the other side, well, did not help Klumbrugge uh, at all. You could see the momentum switch a bit in the second half. Hufkus was also see feeling it coming during the full second half. He was, yeah, you could see his frustration growing even when they were still on. Uh, still ahead. That that was a bit weird to see. Also, the he did give some weird comments there at the uh, at the post match interview, though uh, that they had a young squad. It was a bit maybe a bit too much under the impression of the uh, well uh, um, circumstances, a bit too yeah overwhelmed by them. Which is a weird thing to say when you play with Miole in goal, Odoi at the back, Michel at the back as well, Nielsen uh, in midfield. Yeah, and, and up front, um, it's, yeah, it's not that huge guys completely new. Okay, he's maybe one of the younger ones still, but yeah, Van Aken, is, is, on the other hand, is not so basically on all, at least half of the team were experienced heads. So like, that was a bit of a rubbish comment, to be fair, to, just to say, uh, to find any kind of excuse. A good show from Union. Um, and indeed, thank you, uh, Maart van Verdot and, uh, and, and, and the whole Union staff that helped us uh, and to, to get the good bit of a view uh, behind the scenes as well. Joris mentioned um, Karo Giret's tactical masterclass, actually, which I'm glad he did because... I think that did make a huge difference in the game and really steadied steadied things from an Union perspective. It was interesting to me as well, you know, yours was talking about how irritable Karl Ufkins was getting on the touchline as the game went on and, and clubs started to kind of fall out of the game as the momentum shifted. Um, as a complete opposite to that, Karl Giretz was actually very, very calm for pretty much the whole game. And actually when it kicked off, um, when the initial red card comes kind of quite early, um, there was, you know, there was there was a lot of um, chest bumping and, you know, it, it was in danger of getting out of control anyway. And it was very interesting just to see him step onto the pitch and encourage his, a couple of his own players just to step away um, from the heat of it, um, which I found kind of very interesting. So I was very impressed by how he handled himself on the touchline. But yeah... Equally interesting to see how irritable Karl Ofkins kind of got as the game went on. It was clear to me, as Joris was saying, that he felt the pressure and realised that the momentum was swinging and that, to a certain extent, club were holding on in the end, which is kind of ironic after going 2-0 up against against 10 men. But, yeah, extraordinary game of football in lots of ways. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm never going to write that, that union off again, ever. But I was like, yeah, this game's done. <laughs> <coughs> Until the substitution, it felt like it was. It felt like they weren't going to get into it, but they never let you down, Union. So, yeah, once again, couldn't recommend them highly enough. Go watch a game if you're ever in Brussels. You can even walk from Brussels South Station if you really fancy a nice little walk, um, which is what we did. It meant we got home very, very late that evening and had to deal with the most bizarre person on the train that we've probably seen for a very long time. So bizarre <laughs> that the person he was with didn't even want to get off at the same stop as him. Um, she would much rather have stayed asleep and ended up in advert <laughs> with us. Um, alas, she did not. Um, anyway, let's go to Antwerp then. <laughs> Unfortunately, due to the ridiculous nature of uh, the ticketing system at Antwerp, which requires you to pass that a billion security checks, it felt like, before you can even log in to get a ticket, Scott and I were unable to go to this one in person. 
Joris, on the other hand, did manage to get a ticket. Unfortunately for him, he was in the Antwerp end. Um, so <laughs> Scott and I found a pub and we sat down. Thankfully, that was showing it um, rather than Premier League, which we were kind of concerned was going to happen. But found a nice pub called The Northerner. We sat down with a beer. Joris was in the stadium and he got to see his side win a game. And despite... Before the game, Joris was a lot more sceptical about their chances. But me and Scott, who had seen Antwerp play East End on the Thursday night when they'd won 3-0 but hadn't played great, were like, nah, we think Genk are going to win. Like, we have, we've seen Antwerp not play so great. They definitely upped the atmosphere and the intensity for this game because you could tell they were kind of playing in very much second gear against uh, East End on Thursday. However, it was Genk who took the lead. That man, Mike Tressel, with another assist. And what a finish this was from Brian Heenan on the swivel. Very acrobatic. Was initially given offside. Scott and I watching it. We could get the replays. Joris, unfortunately, couldn't get the replays. But we both kind of saw Sam Vine's back leg playing Heenan onside. Uh, Took forever for them to make the decision, but they finally did give the goal. And it was a Fantastic, fantastic finish from Brian Hayden. Paul Anoachu then makes it two. Um, although I'm, part of me thinks this should be a Richie Delatoon goal, but I've seen it again and I guess his header is on target. Uh, Tessa with the cross from the corner. Onoachu with the header just goes straight through Boutte. Um, He just needs to catch it, but he doesn't. Hits the lat, goes in. 2-0 to Genk at this point. And yeah, probably deserving of it. They just had that little bit of extra quality that Antwerp didn't have, in, especially in the wide areas and the creative areas. But they did get back into the game and they were probably quite happy to be 2-1 down at half-time considering what was going on. A little bit of a mistake. Uh, well, actually, Delat wins the ball quite well in the midfield. Ball goes through to Janssen. It's kind of not well dealt with by Van der Voort or Artiega. Kind of spills off Van der Voort's hands, falls to Janssen. He does really well, actually. Really composed just to kind of stop take stock of what's going on, then just stick it past Artiega to make it 2-1. Second half, I thought Antwerp came out and played. They definitely seemed to play a little bit better. Um, they were kind of pushing it a little bit more. However, they couldn't get back into the game. Vanderbilt did make a couple of good saves, but then Paul Onowachi again. It's like the, the Tresor third assist of this game. Hatchick of assists from him. I looked it up. He's on 11 assists, and in second place is, I think it's a Kellen camp with five. Um, that's how well Trestle's been playing in terms of creativity. Set piece, corner cross comes in, and it's one of those ones where the, the delivery is so good and so accurate that there's nothing Antwerp can do about it because Onoachu is really tall and Dini Almeida's not as tall, but there's nothing, he can't out-jump Onoachu in that situation. There's not much he can do. Onoachu wins a header off the post, in the back of the net, and that's how it finished. 3-1 to Genk. Joris as you were in the stadium, I'll hand over to you now because you obviously saw it in a different way to me and Scott on TV. But were you happy? Obviously, you were happy with the points, but you were saying the performance, it still wasn't It wasn't as good as you kind of would have hoped for. Yes, indeed. Like, I, I walked into the Lions then as well. I'm happy that the Lions kept themselves well uh, quiet enough for me <laughs> this time. So, uh, yeah, the, thank you for the hospitality and herb anyway. But uh, that uh, that was a really nice experience. Also, despite being one of the closest stadiums uh, to, to where well my parents live, uh, that I haven't hadn't been to uh, during a game, and um, yeah, uh, it was a really nice experience. Nice atmosphere before the game, mostly 
kind of expected a bit more even atmosphere. I was a bit delighted with that, especially in the area around where I was sitting, which made my experience way less scary than it could have been, I guess, as well. But uh, yeah, um, performance-wise, it's a bit like uh, I think Scott mentioned to me after the game, like we didn't really have to get out of... It felt like we didn't have to go out of second gear. What uh, I also have to uh, well, mention, I guess, yeah, I do think indeed that uh, Antwerp probably deserved a draw out of it uh, about after this game. But what would concern me if I was an Antwerp fan is it's what I heard a lot around the, uh, around me is that it was one of their best games of the season. And yeah, despite that they deserved more in this game, if that is one of your best games of the season, and it's it's a bit scary for you that you're that you have to say that in the, after this game because it wasn't a great game from both sides I guess there was a lot of there were moments like of course what a fucking goal <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't know how I kept myself quiet there as well maybe maybe because it was given off sides initially that I could keep myself calm like yeah that would have that would have been a, a silly look <laughs> if that would have been ruled out but taking the moments is what, is what Hink definitely did and yeah defensively actually kept it relatively quiet I, I i i do disagree with many of I, while i agree that maybe a draw would have been a more correct result i do disagree that 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 uh Antwerp really had the better chances or a lot of chances they had a few but not really big ones the biggest one that had hasn't gone in is probably onowachu missing from three meters out um as well and and well the, the goal the goal they score is at least half a giveaway by Hink as well. So that's uh, a defensive error, uh, a sequence of defensive errors at least. While they, of course, uh, definitely indeed, like uh, like Dane mentioned, um, scored it in a nice way and they kept comp- uh, composure there. Uh, I was also uh, unlike um, unlike Ben in the in the game against Ostende. I was quite convinced by by Janssen and I could see why he played up top. You could also see his frustration when he when he went off, uh, and I couldn't get that. Uh, he was giving uh, Hink's defense defenders uh, all kinds of trouble. In the end, it was a really nice experience because they won. Uh, I did not expect them to win anymore before the game, also not during second half for a large part. But again, like they did not really give away that much. So I guess there was the one shot from from Camp in the second half, and uh, yeah, the the, um, the the retro from Herkes, where which Van der Voort held nicely, but. Yeah, okay, not not that much more outside of that as well. I think Henk even managed to, in the end, according to FODMAP, I had to look this up though, but uh, actually had more shots on target even, uh, despite everything, uh, despite being, well, being a bit dominated throughout the game. Um, I'll highlight a few more few players. Hannah was really out, even outside of his goal, which is of course the, the cherry on the cake, the icing on the cake. But uh, well, had a really uh, great game, and it, it's not a surprise that right at the time that uh, he was having a, a more difficult 15-20 minutes in the second half. That that uh, Antwerp managed to 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 get a better spell uh, during the game. Uh, at the other side, uh, well, one of his opponents, uh, Yusuf, really impressed me as well. Uh, he was everywhere and covering uh, lots of spaces uh, and, and blocking mo- for most parts uh, re- really well as well. So Janssen indeed as well and, and Trezor, yeah, three assists. Uh, can't, can't complain with that, uh, even if... Uh, no, well, he, he did three assists, that's brilliant. 11 assists now as well, which is... 
almost as many as the top assist giver uh, of last season had <laughs> over the course of the whole season, and we're not even halfway. So, uh, well, of course, this could jinx that, but even then, he's having a really great start of the season. Uh, 11 assists and also five goals uh, to that, as adding to that, added to that. So it's been really influential and crucial. Yeah, and it feels a bit like the the Trezor yeah, set pieces and, and Onuachu uh, heading them in uh, combination is is a, it feels a bit like a cheat code because well many people I, I hear many people say that Henk had a bit of luck with their goals because well they were set pieces but well this is actually one of the things that really changed since last season then we were conceding them all the time and now it's just one of their biggest strengths uh, so you don't need to be as good in the, during the whole game as they as they yeah to to, to score they they can score from anywhere. Did it really have to get out of second gear? Uh, and that, so in in a way, it's reassuring that and they never completely went under. Like they they uh, even when they were being dominated for large parts of the game, it, it that's another main difference. Like they they keep their own level of uh, fighting and and team spirits and defending at a certain level which is higher than the lowest level they had um, well that they went through last season for example and um, it, it seems to be high enough for um, yeah for, for sustaining some uh, pressure as well to to keep pe- uh, teams out uh, even when uh, it is not the best period of your own game as well and uh, well, one thing uh, that I did really like uh, was uh, actually when it, the goal, when Hannah's goal was allowed, you could also see the team spirit. Like they were actually really coming to, to bring, even after three minutes of VR check, and everyone was already back in position. Uh, like they, they still like uh, celebrated it all together. Um, like I guess that was a bit of a. You can really feel the team spirit. Uh, in of course that it helps to score goals like that and to win a lot, of course uh, as well. I think it's uh, now seven wins in a row. I think it's also a new record with six away wins in a row. That, that's all. You, that, that that's at least something that happened uh, that they can't take away from from whatever will bring the season still will bring. And uh, well, lo- looking looking good uh, actually, looking very promising now. I think we should probably um, tell everybody about uh, after the game. Joris met me and Ben back in back in the centre of Antwerp. And um, you might ask yourself, well, you know, how how do you contain yourself when you're in? Uh, you're in with what for you are away supporters. In Yoris's case, he's in with the home supporters, and he he supports the away team. Fascinating in itself. So how does Yoris man to contain himself, particularly with that brilliant goal? Well, he managed to let it all out when he met me and Ben back in Antwerp Central uh, by letting out a massive yas, which reverberated around the the rather stunning train station there, which many of you, of course, will know. Understandable, very human response. Lovely moment for our Yoris. Really, really pleased for him. And of course, as Ben was saying, the joke was we were saying the lead up to this game. We don't think you've got too much to worry about here. Um, this this could be quite an easy win for Genk in the end, which actually um, it kind of was. I think the worrying thing for Antwerp, and I know some of the Antwerp fans feel the same, because as Ben was saying, we were at the game on Thursday evening at the Bossel between Antwerp and Oostend, which Antwerp won convincingly 3-0 in the end. Uh, but there were some Antwerp fans expressing to me during that game that they, they were worried about the team's form at the moment. And there was a feeling amongst some of them, certainly, that they'd kind of peaked, if you'd like. Um, they've had a really good... Um, first sort of 11 games or so and obviously that's some now had three defeats recently as well Van Bommel looks a little bit more under pressure and feels it and th- th- there's just an uncertainty around the Antwerp support as well an absolute delight to catch up with our, our good friend Bob De Jong 
uh, Antwerp season ticket holder and, and part of the De Virkend Pal podcast as well, Big Antwerp podcast. Um, hello to all those guys um, who I'm sure are, are listening to us. Delight to, to spend some time with Bob, you know, on his home patch as well. Made us feel really, really welcome. Good experience generally at the Bossel, actually, I've got to say. Really warm, raucous kind of home support, certainly where I was with Bob. And, you know, they, 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 they have a lot of fun, obviously, at the Bossel, the home support. The game me and Ben were at on Thursday night was kind of interesting because we felt that Antwerp were holding themselves back a little bit. Um, didn't play particularly well on the whole, but might have been saving themselves for the big game that Joris was just telling us all about um, on Sunday. But their performance in the game on Sunday didn't really kind of suggest that was the case at all. I think, you know, those worries that the Antwerp fans have that they expressed to me certainly appeared to be apparent on Sunday. And the thing about Genk is they, they just have more quality than Antwerp at the moment. You know, there, there's more firepower out, out wide and up top and you just there's just this feeling that you know there's so much more potential for um, not only creating opportunities but scoring goals in a way that Antwerp don't you know what I mean there's worries about you know where the creativity is coming from there as well so you know it's a tale of two very different sides and it's gonna be really interesting to see how things pan out for Antwerp now whether the Antwerp fans are right about that and maybe they have peaked and there's a rocky patch coming up for them because there are teams in and about them in playoff one at the moment who feel like they're going in the opposite direction, who are playing very, very well um, and kind of could pull away from them. So if they don't address this slight bumpy patch in form, um, there is a real danger longer term, I think. And we discussed this at the weekend. Um, I think there is a danger that Antwerp might be um might be in danger of, of falling out of playoff one if they don't address the, the, the issues that we've seen recently and quite quickly as well. On the other hand, of course, there's only three games to, to the World Cup and it's such a weird season. It's basically two seasons in one. So yeah. like for longer term, I'm not sure if you can make a lot of conclusions uh, out of, of this. Yeah, they're kind of speaking about our little trip uh, when me and Scott went. I My whatever class as a seat just didn't exist either um I don't know what I'd I had a row 22 um seat something booked but row 22 just didn't exist um there was just no row 22 so I just had to kind of <laughs> slot myself in somewhere ended up next to a group of three people one of whom she was well and truly on the beers I guess you could say singing away <laughs> uh, gave me good advice because uh, I spilt my coke half down me she was like bring your own bottle cap next time because they take them off you. And I was like, that's good. This is what we need to hear. So if you do go to the bottle and you're not going to drink a beer, bring your own bottle caps. But she also says sneak them in by putting them in your shoe or something like that because otherwise they'll frisk them and take them off you. <laughs> so that was my experience. It was very good, very fun. But yeah, no, I completely agree with you guys on kind of my issue and I pointed it out and then Joris noticed it more when he was at the game is it's, it's these wide areas for Antwerp which are a real issue. And I know Bob said that to you, Scott, as well when you were sat next to him, but it's like, Balakwisha, yeah. he's getting back into fitness and you can see in the first half, especially against Genk, he was kind of, he was lively. He's the one that you're like, yeah, there's there's some quality there. But the other kind of wing is like Stengs. He's just the most one-footed player, maybe even in the league. Oh yeah, yeah. He's I forgot so to mention that. Yeah, that's ridiculous. so boring. I, I used to like him as a player, but it's... Yeah, he just has one foot, which makes it way too easy to defend as well. You could see that everyone was briefed about that as well, even though sometimes he still still got through. But like, he, yeah, you knew like Artiego was just like, okay. Then yeah. I'll just show you down the line because you're not going to cross it with your right. And he did once, and he put in a good ball. But he's really one footed. And then coming off the bench, they've got nothing really out wide. 
Like I've seen Muya now a couple of times and I'm just not convinced. He's like ready to be in a team that's the wants to compete for the title. Don't know why Valencia's not getting more game time because he looked really excited when he played a couple of times. It's like a little bit about him. But yeah, there's definitely there's flaws in the Antwerp side that are becoming more apparent when they're not playing well. Um so yeah, we'll see we'll see kind of how, how that goes. I'm sure they'll be active in the transfer window if they can to kind of shift some stuff around. But at the moment I think there's three very, very good teams in Club Bruges, Union and Genk. They seem to be the three kind of better teams in the league. And then kind of Antwerp could be there. They've got the points, they just need to refine some form. One side that are definitely out of form and now looking for a new manager, it's Anderlecht. They lost the game with standard three goals to one. That's all the end of Felice and Mazu. And I don't think any of us were really surprised at this. Um, it felt like this was kind of, if he lost this game, it was going to be curtains. The game didn't even get to finish because of anger from the Anderlecht fans. It's a shame that it didn't work out for Felice. I guess we've kind of spoken about it quite a bit, about how his style was completely different to what they were playing before. But it just never really seemed to work, did it, guys? It was just kind of, it wasn't the right match. They should have stuck with company. They should have been more realistic in all their kind of expectations. And now I feel like they've taken two steps backwards from where they were last year. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's been um, it's been increasingly toxic, I think, inside Anderlecht for a little while. And there's just, it, I think, you know, Mazu finally um, being sacked just as a horrible year of inevitability about it. Arioris, actually, I should say, big shout out to him here because Arioris said to us at the start of the season that he felt he felt that Mazu might not be there come the end of pretty much October. I'm pretty sure he called it almost to, 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 to the to, to the month. I'm not sure if I said yeah. October or November. Yeah, but yeah it, something you, like that. You, you were dead right though, Yoris. It was really early. Um, so other crystal ball services available. You know how to find our Yoris. Yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, horrible air of inevitability, like I was saying. And obviously, you know, the fans are really angry and really frustrated at the moment. And that obviously led to, you know, the the, the, the problems at the game. It sliced at the weekend, but the game didn't finish. Um, because of that, um, the club then came out and condemned the, the, the behaviour. And then shortly after that, obviously, Felice and, and, and the club park company. It's all been a terrible, terrible mess, I think. It's been quite apparent, I think, to most people that Felice wasn't really the right fit there, I think. He's a very good manager, I think. I think he will bounce back. He will be absolutely fine. I think this is obviously the second big club in Belgium now where he's had a, a really difficult time and although this is going to hurt him for a little while I think long term I don't think it will because like I say fundamentally he's a very good coach um, has a very nurturing approach he's very positive um, is very witty um, and, and and I think just the demands of Anderlecht as a club Ben was hinting at the, the expectations there this is where it gets really interesting because Anderlecht president uh, Wouter Vandenhout obviously who a lot of Anderlecht fans feel um, was and is at fault for, for some of the, the things that have been happening over the last few months and the departure of Vincent Company kind of came out at a press conference and talked about lots of things going on inside the club talked about um, how he wasn't afraid to look in the mirror at himself, which I thought was interesting because he's been party to two huge decisions which have both now 
um, proven really to be wrong for the most part. Uh, are there any consequences for him directly? Not really, in the sense that you know he said he's going to be staying on, and then gone went on to say something really, really interesting around the fact that you know Anderlecht used to be the biggest and richest club in Belgian football. That is no longer the case, and went as far as to say those days are not coming back, and that his biggest challenge is addressing the need for a change of culture within side. Now I find this interesting, guys, because and I don't know what you think, but. He really hit a nerve there. Anderlecht fans do not want to hear that, understandably. But I think, fundamentally, he's making a point which is right. There is a gap, and a rather large one, between the expectations and demands of the fans and the the reality of the club's financial uh, and footballing situation at the moment. And to get anywhere near where they want to be is going to take a long, long time. So I think he was acknowledging a truth that people, a lot of people didn't really want to discuss um, and, and took a lot of heat from that, slightly unfairly, I think. I think he's lost a significant proportion of the support now, which is a problem for the club president. I think that's going to be really difficult to come back from. Um, and I think the only thing that, that, that might um, save his position longer term is if they get a really smart appointment now. They have to be really careful. And they've come out and already said they're really going to take their time with this, which I think they have to. But there's this weird sort of um, yeah mismatch between the realities of life at Anderlecht at the moment and the expectations. And this is a great club. You know, let's not kid ourselves. A great club with a fantastic heritage um, and history. Nobody, nobody's doubting that. But it was really interesting that uh, Van den Hout came out and and was so public about that, particularly in light of the toxicity and the rawness of of, of the last few days as well. Um, so the really really weird mixture of kind of honesty um, and also ob- obscuring some of the, the the ongoing issues there. Um, and I, I kind of feel for Felice actually because I think he's been trying really hard to address this and we've seen a lot of changing, uh, a bit of rotation, a bit of changing tactically as well to try and adjust to all of the things going on. But maybe Van den Hout's right in that there's a culture inside of Anderlecht that demands success and when that isn't met, you know, anxiety creeps in and, and players become unhappy and that leads to them not playing as well as they can and it's just it's just a horrible mess. I think the club needs to do exactly what they've said they're going to do now and that is take their time, take a step back and just kind of consider where they are because to see them in the league position that they're in is, is, is kind of quite extraordinary. I have a slight feeling though that that the general nastiness and toxicity has isn't going to go away with the removal of Felice because of what I was saying about a lot of the support now now not having any faith in in, in their own club president, which is a a horrible situation to be in, and they need to engage openly together with one another, I think, and just try and re- repair some relationships uh, because fans should in- always express how they feel about things. But I had a feeling that the demonstration at Slesson in deliberately stopping the game was, while understandable, probably not the best way of, of kind of going about how they feel. Because actually, um, the game was gone by that stage and the, the the end result ultimately hasn't really changed much, has it? Well, yeah, they lost 5-0. Well, we'll lose 5-0 now. <laughs> That's probably what will have changed. But uh, yeah, just a forfeit and uh, the Belgian 5-0 rule <laughs> in that sense. Yeah, what else? Uh, that press conference from Van Houten is probably the more worrying sign than, than anything else, to be honest. Um, well, and especially since he 
yeah, the way he was saying things, he was really looking like a beaten man uh, while giving that press conference. Well, that's not the leadership you want at a club, especially not like a proud club like Anderlecht. Um, but that's a telling sign of the situation at the club, I guess. Um, well, you already said a lot about it as well. Shameful uh, is basically the, the, the one one word that describes to describe it all, the, the actions of the fans during the game, after the game, the... Yeah. Um, well, bef- after after coming back to the to the to the to the Anderlecht bus, after going back to Anderlecht itself as well to Neerpede, a bit shameful and um, but but indeed in a way understandable. But of course, it's not the wrong uh, right way to to. It is a wrong way to to show your disappointment. Uh, of course, uh, can uh, never condone that. Also, a really weird moment where where Donham asks his uh, well asks his fiance for for uh, for get uh, for well to get engaged and yeah well <laughs> during the whole situation that was still unfolding as well uh, basically it's a weird time and a weird place to do that um, anyway but uh, well congratulations on on, the, on on your on your engagement at least <laughs> that, that we can say but. I won't touch too much on the uh, side stuff anymore either. Uh, but apparently, it's uh, in the, the the first time that Standard actually have turned around the game uh, after coming uh, coming back from uh, going behind. Of course, in the end, that even doesn't matter since the way that, well, since it will be a forfeit at some point, uh, that that still has to officially be announced. But uh, there's actually no doubt that it will the result will be anything else um, than than that. Um, yeah, just the right appointment needs to be made, and uh, they they are giving themselves a bit of time uh, with the, the the caretaker appointment of uh, Veltman. That uh, will that will be important to get the, a few calls right. I don't think indeed that just the change of a manager will uh, will be making a the big difference, making a big shift um, either. I don't think I've got anything else to add. You guys have basically summed all of that up pretty well. So yeah, we'll obviously bring whatever news we get from Anderlecht when that comes. But obviously, yeah, they're going to take their time to make that appointment. And hopefully you won't see scenes like that again this season uh, in any of the matches. So that's basically it from the Pro League, uh, from the top division, from what we saw. We then spent the evening in Lise. Uh, we saw Lise against Lommel in the Challenger Pro League. So I'll just quickly go through the results leading up to this game because this was the last game of the weekend from the Challenger. Standard second team beat Verton 2-1. Club Next beat Denza 2-0. Uh, Young Genk lost 2-1 at home to Beerschot. Uh, Denda beat Anderlecht Futures 2-0. Molenbeek, they got a big win. They beat Vazan Beveren 3-1 despite only having 10 men. So then we get on to Lise against Lommel. Um, I get another one. I'd say if you get the chance to go, definitely, definitely go. Really, really lovely club, very kind of community based. Um, they're a super, super welcoming Rodrigo, and Yorick kind of really did welcome us in, showed us round, uh, got a glass of champagne as well, and a free scarf. So, what more could you want? Um, it's lovely just kind of seeing that historic old stadium. This is like a former a team that's won the league in the past. Um, they have like a little history museum section that they're renovating at the moment, but it's really, really cool just seeing kind of all the old like flags and kind of the European um, gifts that teams give to each other during games and stuff like that to kind of commemorate the matches. Uh, so a club with a massive, massive history, obviously, but they're now playing second tier football. 
one slight concern that myself and Joris ended up having, Scott was absolutely fine about this because he wasn't that hungry at the time, but Joris and I went off in search of some food just before the game and the chip fan that clearly we weren't the only ones looking forward to tucking into uh, had some technical issues just half an hour before the game and we thought, you know what, we're going to stick this out for as long as possible. Uh, unfortunately, we actually missed the kickoff. We were waiting for the chips for that long. But as it, op- it opened up, we're like, right, yeah, we're going to get our chips. We then thought, I wonder how you pay for this. I wonder if they take card. Turns out we then had to go somewhere else to get the fan card, top that up with some money, then come back and use the fan card to get the chips. You can tell it's a good chip fan when the police also came over to get some chips from it as well during the game. Yeah, lovely, lovely stadium release. Lovely, lovely people. Really, really welcoming. Again, 100% recommend if you get the chance, definitely go there. It's a really good experience. Um, to the game itself... Leeds obviously started the season pretty well, but kind of struggled a little bit over the recent matches against Alomo's side, who managed by Steve Bald, former Arsenal uh, coach and player, were also kind of struggling at the moment in terms of form. Uh, but it was them who actually took the lead. Uh, I thought it might have been offside, but no VAR, so no change of decision. A really nice play down the, I think it was the right-hand side by Bechali. He crossed it in. Martinez tucked it away. Really, really nice finish from him. At that point, Loma were looking pretty decent, I thought, in this game. They then went and hit the post before the mother of all storms hit. And if you haven't seen it, definitely check out our Twitter account because flip a neck. We ins- when we were queuing up for the chip van, Joris and I could see some lightning, but it wasn't raining. It was still like, reasonably warm. So we were like, oh, okay, that's clearly like couldn't pass over. And then suddenly when we got back to the stand, the heavens just opened it was like spiralling. You couldn't even see the other end of the pitch. So obviously the referee called a halt to proceedings to call the players off. They then started playing some songs about the sunshine and good weather and good times and stuff. And all the uh, the least ultras were singing along, which was absolutely hilarious. They were a good, good crack, good like kind of fan base to listen to during the match. Game then did get back underway and it just completely changed within the space of, I think it was about, Four minutes, it was 3-1 to the home side. Leonardo Rocha involved. Uh, he was really, really good, actually. Uh, just winning a lot of headers and stuff in the first one. That was put in by Thibaut Van Achter. Uh Rocha then got the flick on for the next one, which was Neil Schuterden. Uh, really nice, like just smashed it in from the near post. And then Dan Wiekmans made it 3-1. And yeah, it was just a massive, massive turnaround from the home side. Loma were really poor, basically, after the, the rain break kind of they just looked really lost in terms of ideas where you could tell with least exactly what they wanted to do it was a long ball into Russia to try and win the flick on if that wasn't on get it out wide get crosses in very very old school but very very effective football caught up with Mike Green from Lommel after the game who we've done a special with so if you're interested in more about Lommel and the City Group and that definitely find your way back to that one uh, really good chat with Mike really nice to see him actually at the game you could tell he was quite disappointed with the performance um, he was quite enamoured with it the, they did make a kind of formation change to play with two more kind of sixes kind of deeper lying kind of midfielders and that definitely did have an effect they started to hit the post and created a few more chances but overall disappointing performance from Lommel Lees then went top of the league after that one a good experience, guys. I, I quite enjoyed the Challenger Pro League. Uh, obviously, standard was a little bit lower than what we'd seen, but entertainment value was definitely there. 
Oh, definitely. Yes, there was a oh yeah. What, what a weird game. What a weird, weird way to to end the weekend. But uh, all everything seems like we saw a lot of goals. Like I, I believe if we made the, the the whole count when we made the whole count, if we didn't miscount, I got seventeen. Go- see, got to see seventeen goals across four games, and you guys got sixteen, which is well still. Uh, uh, yeah, four goals of four goals a game, and uh, <laughs> yeah, this one lift up to that standard ex- exactly to to that point. Yeah, and in, in addition, that that crazy lightning uh, uh, storm, which it's it's ridiculous, ridiculous uh, indeed. That that was I was a bit scared that the game would be called off for, completely after that, but luckily it was just a uh, well one of those monsoons, uh, so to say that that yeah lasted ten minutes luckily, and then everything calmed down. But yeah, they were they were making a lot of good fun out of it though with uh, a few Flemish classics, but with uh, and and also with uh, with for example Vamazala Playa, uh, but also um, yeah. Okay, I'll have I'll translate the, the <laughs> song. I think I also did it during that. Like, let the sun in your heart. Uh, it, it's a it's, yeah. This is a translation, ver- literally translate version of a of a Flemish classic, and uh, yeah, they, they were making they were having good uh, a lot of good fun. Yeah, nobody saw that that Lomo uh, hit the post uh, during the spell right before the the gale game got uh, well temporarily suspended. Then a five minute spell after the after that rain break storm break. Uh, and uh, that decided it, uh, as, as Ben already mentioned, uh, a lot of a lot of fun. Unfortunately, while I was talking about all these goals, unfortunately uh, we got one half without a goals, uh, without any goal this uh, this weekend, and that was that one, uh, the the second half. Uh, but even there, Lommel hit the post another time. Um, but yeah, Lierse were looking comfortable by that time in the whole second half. They didn't really need to push uh, hard anymore, and. Well, they didn't, and Lomo only showed a few gl- personal glimpses. Uh, yeah, but nothing, nothing else either. There was a lovely Oktoberfest after the after the game. Unfortunately, we 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 were very much invited there. Uh, not only there, but uh, even we we even maybe a bit sad to say, but we even missed the press conference because we were <laughs> well, basically just too knackered after this this whole weekend. It, it, um, well, we'll make we'll we'll make a we all we'll all make the promise here for to the Lierse guys that we will make a make up for that at some point, um, in one way or another. Um, but uh, thank you for the invitation anyway, and indeed lovely, lovely sh- uh, showing around the stadium, uh, short showing like a lovely museum that I even didn't know about. Um, and um, yeah, and the scarf as well. Thank you for the hospitality as for the to the people at Lier as well. Yeah, as Joris was saying, we 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 got a lovely welcome. Uh, from uh, Liers and this is we shouldn't forget this is a really proud historic club who has a real history in Belgian football there's a real um, this club has done things as they say you know has played top flight European football as well not that long ago still within living memory and as Ben was saying the museum um, had a lot of the pendants from those games kind of on display as well which was really really nice to see um, they clearly are very proud of their history and, and, and obviously have plans to display all of that more um, which which is great really really enjoyed spending um, a good amount of time checking out the stadium as well before the game while things were still quiet that was, that was a real delight for me really interesting stadium good atmosphere and as you was saying unbelievably spectacular storm I, I've never quite had an experience like that at a game of football before unbelievable rain and spectacular forks of forks of lightning that that lit up 
um, the church in the background from the in the stand that we were facing, um, really spectacular stuff, really dramatic and memorable evening, and we really warm welcome as Joris was saying, um, uh, on behalf of the club, and uh, I look forward to getting back there and and, and visiting Liers. Big shout out to uh, Lommel's chief executive, uh, Mike Green as well, friend of the podcast, has been on the show. Um, we should thank Mike very publicly on behalf of the BFP. Thanks, thanks so much, Mike, because. Uh, Mike was responsible for for us actually being in Laers um uh, at the game on Sunday evening. It was very kind of him to um to to help arrange that uh, for us in conjunction with Laers. So yeah, really wonderful experience. And if you can get to a Challenger Pro League game, everybody, we would absolutely recommend that you do that. I know we've been saying for a long time it's a really interesting dynamic and and mad league as Ben says sometimes it definitely is but you know there, there is a there is a product there that is seriously underrated and it's definitely worth getting out to and, and giving some time and attention to as well because there is talent in this division as well you know Ben was talking about Rafiq Belgali setting up Lommel's opening goal brilliant bit of skill great move um, some real quality on show in the first half in this game, I thought, although it did peter out, uh, particularly in the second half. Really interesting uh, game of football. And yeah, get yourself to a Challenger Pro League game, everybody, because it's uh, much underrated. Yeah, absolutely. Could not recommend it anymore. I couldn't recommend anymore. Yeah, just get get yourselves over there if you want to go watch some football. We managed to tick off a lot of games in a very short space of time because of, yeah, just how close everything is. And we're definitely looking forward to going back probably gonna do it for this one we're all pretty tired from the trip uh, some of us didn't get back until half midnight last night so yeah but just before we do go just yeah I want to say a massive thank you to everyone that kind of helped us out over this weekend by getting us access showing us around and doing all that like we really really do appreciate it and yeah we hope that you do as well you listeners and followers of us who've seen kind of what we're getting up to uh, hopefully it's the first of many and it's definitely put some plans in in the works for future content and future episodes. But with that, Joris and Scott, as always, it was a pleasure seeing you this weekend and it was a pleasure recording with you once again. Yeah, definitely. It was a it was a lot of fun. And uh, let's let's do this again. It was a uh, real uh, Ben and I also spent uh, mm. a, a day, well, a bit apart and a bit together in Mechelen uh, still on Monday. Lucky buggers. Uh, you lucky, a, lucky a buggers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then even visited the stadium in the in the small short span where I had to let him go alone, <laughs> and uh, and uh, the the Michele, the Cave Michele Stadium uh, to to be side of course to other fans uh, other fans that um, definitely Bert Bert's uh, to do it again and indeed thank you to everyone that uh, that helped us out with anything really yeah it's, it's it's been an amazing weekend guys hasn't it and you know to everybody we met and and kind of helped us out over the weekend thank you so much we had an amazing time and to those of you uh, who are still waiting for us to get to you don't worry we'll be back soon and um we've got lots more planned um in fact so much that we, we can't even share it at the moment but um yeah thank you to everybody who who you know helped us have a a, a wonderful weekend and uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring you some more content on the ground like this very very soon absolutely and yeah as always thank you very much for your ears to listening to us on this episode of the belgian football podcast if you like we do please do leave us a review if you haven't caught up with everything we got up to, just yeah, head over to our Twitter account. You can find all the videos and kind of pictures and stuff that we took from the grounds there. But yeah, thank you very much once again. And we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. <laughs>